Blog Talk Radio. Music Laws Fighting for Justice Radio. Don't underestimate the other guys, Green. Robert, Mark, and Reed. You have the right to remain silent. Let me shut up. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. They see me rolling. They hate Music Laws Fighting for Justice Radio analyzes civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and covers all legal current events. Each week, Music Laws Fighting for Justice features newsmakers, attorneys, media personalities, celebrities, experts, business people, and so much more. Music Laws Fighting for Justice. Straight talk, no nonsense. I'm going to make them an offer again with you. Now it's time for Music Laws Fighting for Justice Radio. Here are your hosts, Robert, Mark, and Reed. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for listening. We have another fantastic show for you today. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody to check out our website at kuziklaw.com. That's K-U-Z-Y-K-L-A-W.com. Let your friends know about the show. Please, you can listen to our podcast on iTunes, and you can also listen to it at www.blogtalkradio.com slash kuziklaw. Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio with Robert, Mark, and Reed each week analyzes the hottest civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and we cover interesting current legal events. Today, we're going to analyze four very interesting legal news stories, and then we'll have our expert on, and after that, we're going to do the segment Reed's Rant, and then we'll wrap things up. Our first story of today is a story about Jim Carrey being sued over his ex-girlfriend's death. Apparently she committed suicide with uh, some Ambien and, and oxycodone. Robert, what happened? Hi, Reed. Robert here. Yes, we do have a great show, and let's talk about this. Jim Carrey, that internationally famous funny man who has made a fortune acting in movies and uh, television shows, is now the subject of a wrongful death lawsuit filed by a guy named Mark Burton, who apparently, unbeknownst to the public and most of this young woman's family, was married to a 30-year-old makeup artist named Catriona White uh, back in 2013. Um, Catriona White was pretty well publicized as a girlfriend of Jim Carrey and was found dead in her Sherman Oaks home in September of 2015, dead of an overdose. Now, she left two suicide notes, both addressed to Jim Carrey, and nearby, allegedly, was a pill bottle with the name Arthur King. The lawsuit alleges that uh, Arthur King is a pseudonym for Jim Carrey and that the pills that she used to kill herself were actually given to her by Mr. Carrey a month or two before she committed suicide. That's that's horrendous. Wasn't was wasn't there something funny about the relationship between this guy Mark Burton and uh Ms. White that it maybe was a arranged marriage or or, or a, fan, a phantom marriage? Well, that's a great question and a very interesting point. As I indicated a moment ago, very few people were aware that this marriage had even taken place. It actually took place in Las Vegas, and uh, there's no evidence that uh, Catriona White and Mark Burden ever actually lived together. It's interesting to note that Catriona White was not a U.S. citizen. She was actually a citizen of the Republic of Ireland. And uh, there's some speculation that perhaps this was one of these marriages that's arranged in order to satisfy um, some sort of citizenship or green card uh, requirement so that somebody otherwise in this country illegally can now stay. Interesting. And I heard that she was also 
this wasn't her first kind of fake marriage either. Well, I haven't heard anything about that, but, you know, this is a very interesting lawsuit because it does pose this issue of somebody's responsibility for the, for the acts of, uh, of the intentional acts of somebody else. You know, under the law, it's very difficult to hold a third party responsible for the intentional act of somebody. And in this case, of course, the coroner did rule that Catherine's death was a suicide. And interestingly enough, the Los Angeles Police Department never investigated the source of the drugs that she did use to kill herself. Now, this lawsuit by Mr. Burton alleges that um, Mr. Carey had provided these drugs and that he knew and was aware of her history of depression and also a prior suicide attempt. And so, therefore, the suit alleges that it was foreseeable that if he gave these drugs to her, that it's possible she would have committed suicide. And that's the basis for the allegation that Mr. Carey should be held responsible. I think it's I, I, I'm siding with Jim Carrey on this. I think this is a heartless attempt to just exploit him and extort money out of him because he's a international wealthy guy. And uh, I think this guy, uh, Mark Burton, has just taken advantage of the situation. They did, they never lived together. This was only, uh, according to Kat's friends, uh, this was only to so that she could remain in the United States, and it wasn't even the first time she did that. And apparently two witnesses have come forward uh, that are her very good friends and are willing to testify to that. Well, you know, interestingly enough, we, some of our listeners might recall back to the Anna Nicole Smith case. Um, remember, she was uh, she was found dead of a uh, an, uh, not a, a voluntary overdose, but uh, an unintended overdose. And ultimately, her manager, Howard K. Stern, was criminally charged with conspiracy to provide those drugs that she used that resulted in that overdose, and also was criminally charged with prescription fraud. The allegation that he had used a false name to secure the drugs from doctors and pharmacies. And there's a similar allegation underlying this case. If indeed Mr. Carey was using the false name Arthur King to uh, to uh, procure prescription drugs, that itself could be a separate criminal violation, and that might help uh, Mr. Burton in his civil lawsuit arising from the death of this young woman. Well, we'll see how that turns out. It's a very interesting case, and uh, I hope it turns out where justice is served in that one. Um, let's move on to the Samsung case. Mark, you're going to tell us about this, uh, how Samsung is seeping, seeking deeper into this exploding battery quagmire um, as the Samsung 7 is blamed for yet another car fire. What, what's going on with this? Yeah, you, you may have heard that Samsung, which is one of the largest manufacturers of cell phones in the world, uh, they've recent, re, recently recalled uh, 2.5 million of its new Galaxy Note 7s because they've now had about 70 reports of phones catching on fire. Uh, and so they, they have this recall that's going on right now. And even some of the airlines are telling passengers when they get on the airplane, they need to turn those phones off, you know, in fear that, that one might catch on fire, you know, while they're flying. I have one of these phones. Um, I've had all the Galaxy Notes, as a matter of fact. And I was really look, looking forward to this phone coming out, and I got it on the first day. And, and now I'm really disappointed that I have to trade it in for a new one and go through the hassle of setting it up all over again. And, but it's what, what's been reported is that the fix that they are, they're trying to, or they apparently have done, is that they're going to make the batteries um, have a capacity of only 60% of its normal capacity. Aren't and you worried that that's gonna that that's gonna make it so that your your phone doesn't last as long as as other like an iPhone or something? I, I have a big fear because the the Android phones, their batteries compared to the iPhones, that you know they they're not nearly as good as the iPhones in in that regard. So. 
if that's going to be the case, I may not keep this phone very long. But well, you know, wait a second. Have people been injured as a result of these things catching on fire? I haven't heard about or read about yeah. any injuries. I've only heard about, like, the, the latest in this incident was that some guy's car caught on fire and it burned down to the ground, and he blamed it on the Note 7 catching fire, and the police are investigating to see if that's really the cause. No, there have to, there have been injuries. As a matter of fact, there was a lawsuit filed, I think, last week um, by a guy in Florida because his uh, his uh, Samsung 7 blew up, literally blew up in his pants and burned him really badly. Well, so tell us, the Mark, lawsuits are going to start rolling in on that. Well, tell us, Mark. You know, the Apple iPhone 7 has just recently been released. There was some feeling that the sort of the bloom was off the Apple rose and that Samsung now is poised to really take over the market. What has this done for Samsung as far as, you know, um, its competition with Apple for preeminence in the, the uh, smartphone mar- market? Well, the reputation is taking a big hit because right. – they came out with, earlier this year, they came out with the Galaxy S7 and then the Edge 7 at the same time. And what's, here's what's interesting. The Samsung, they skipped a number in their generation of phones. I, I had all the notes. I had the 2, the 3, the 4, the 5. But they never came out with the 6. They went right from the 5 to the 7. So now what's happening is that all of their Galaxy phones, the S7 and the Edge 7, are all being kind of lumped in as, as the Samsung 7. As a matter of fact, that Fire in the car, the car fire in Florida, that's how the police reported it. They reported it as the Samsung 7, not the Galaxy Note 7. So all the 7s are taking a hit. So, right. yeah, Samsung's got problems here. Yeah, it's hard. You know, for people that don't have Samsungs, you know, like a flight attendant on an airplane, they're going to be like, that says Samsung, turn it off. My understanding, the FAA actually released a, uh, a statement saying that uh, people should not be people on airplanes should not have a Samsung Galaxy Note 7 either not turned on and not even being charged. It has to be completely off and just put it away. Um, And it's interesting because, of course, that's going to make people pretty frustrated when they have somebody sitting next to them uh, using their iPhone uh, or Android without any problem. Right. And all, all that Samsung is doing here to kind of pacify the, the customers like me is give you a $25 credit or a $25 off of accessories. You know, but I, I'm, I'm getting my new phone today because today is the first day the new phones come out. And, you know, again, it's going to take, be a big hassle to go get it all set up again. It takes several hours to do that. Well, That's are you thinking about yeah. instead getting an Apple? I, I, don't, want, I don't want an iPhone. Okay. <laughs> I iPhone so much better. <laughs> it's so much better. Tell them, Reed. We could I do a whole show iPhone. on that. Like we could do a whole separate show on that. Oh my God, I love my iPhone. All right, let's let's move on. That is very interesting about uh, the the Samsung's woes. I'm sure they'll they'll recover from it. They do have very good products. Um, I want to remind everybody you're listening to Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice Radio with Reed Brightman, Mark Leonardo, and Robert Ryan. And we are discussing our four hot legal news stories of the week. And then we're going to move on to our Ask the Expert segment. The next story is being handled by Robert. This is the Sandra Bland family settles a wrongful death lawsuit for $1.9 million. Robert, what happened in this case? 
Well, this brings back to the public's consciousness that horrible, horrible situation last summer. It seemed like it was at the very height of the Black Lives Matter movement and police shootings of African Americans and all of that controversy. And in the middle of that, the whole nation saw that videotape of a traffic stop at a small town in Texas where 28-year-old Sandra Bland, an African American woman from Illinois, was pulled over by a Texas state trooper uh, for the seemingly minor violation of making an unsignal lane change, uh, something that in many jurisdictions is not even illegal unless it creates some sort of dangerous condition. Now, when the trooper uh, was returning back to the vehicle to give her a written warning, not even a ticket for the violation, Sandra Bland had since lit up a cigarette. And for whatever reason, this seemed to infuriate the trooper, and he asked her to put it out. And when she refused... A whole altercation developed that resulted in the trooper pulling out his taser and screaming at her that he was going to light her up. I'm sure many of our listeners recall this horrific video. Um, And then ultimately wrestling her from the vehicle, pinning her to the ground with her hands behind her back and his knee stuck on her, um, handcuffed her and put her in the... uh, put her in his uh, cruiser and took her to jail. Now, the cause of the arrest was the trooper's allegation that he had been assaulted himself by Sandra Bland in the course of this altercation. And for whatever reason, uh, she was placed in a cell with nobody else. And since this happened on a Friday, it was going to be until Monday before she could be taken in front of a judge and bail set. And tragically, when they checked her cell on the following Monday, they found her hanging from a door dead. Oh my God! What a nightmare! And didn't her, didn't her? I think her family uh, suspected serious foul play, and her family and friends said she would never commit suicide. And but yet nobody's been charged with any kind of murder or anything. Well, it was it set forth all sorts of wild speculation. You know, there was a camera that was on the door of the cell, and it showed that nobody had actually checked in on her for some certain period of time. She was in the in the uh, vicinity. She had gone to school at a local university, and she was back there because she was getting ready to start a job the following week. So there was all sorts of wild speculation and conjecture about the fact that she actually may have been killed in the jail and that the police staged it to make it look like a suicide. Now, this case was presented to a grand jury in December of 2015, and they declined to file any charges. It was also investigated by the FBI, and her death was ultimately ruled a suicide. Um, In January, a case was again presented to a grand jury that resulted in a perjury charge against the trooper based on the allegation that he had been assaulted in connection with the arrest, and that ultimately led to his firing. Um, But it's very interesting that both sides, it seems, had a good reason to get this case settled. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I think that's probably best. I mean, obviously, it's a great tragedy that a young woman was was ended up dead, and it it seems that there was some some amount of harsh treatment there. Uh, Well, it's the kind of situation, it's the kind of situation, Reed, where, you know, the family may never have really been able to do anything concerning the coroner's conclusion that it was a suicide. They mm-hmm. did have a private autopsy performed on this young lady, but they never did re- uh, release the results. So it may well have been that from the family's perspective, if it turned out that they weren't able to prove that it was anything other than a suicide, that might, help, that might not help their chances in court. 
from the county and from the jail's perspective, however, they were never going to be able to defend that videotape before a jury because right. the treatment was just so outrageous. So again, we have a situation where both sides maybe had too much to lose about taking a case to trial, and so therefore found out found a way to get it settled. Well, I think another good thing about the settlement was that it wasn't just money. Uh, not only is the jail paying 1.8 of the $1.9 million settlement, but they've also agreed to change their procedures and seek some federal funding for uh, more training uh, to try and prevent this kind of tragedy in the future. An excellent point. The family said that even more than the money, it was important to them that changes be made in how the, ja- the jail handles, handles incarcerees, how they handle sharing cells and making sure people aren't alone, and also getting funding and providing staff for mental health issues and dealing with depression among inmates so that if somebody gets admitted to a jail or incarcerated in a jail who has mental health or depression issues, the jail is able to deal with it before a tragedy like this might happen. Exactly. I think that's great. Maybe some good can come out of the bad. Um, and uh, I understand as they, they pass a law about about that, they're going to they're gonna name it after her. All right, so let's move on. Uh, Mark Leonardo is going to tell us about the, the, new, the class action lawsuit filed against the Pop Warner Youth Football Organization relating to those long-term injuries caused by repeated concussions and head trauma. This is similar to the allegations that professional football players have brought against the NFL. Mark, tell us what's going on. Yeah, the lawsuit is a class action here out in California uh, against Pop Warner. Pop Warner is the largest uh, youth football organization in the country. And the claim is that the organization knowingly put players in danger by ignoring the risks of head trauma. Uh, This is the biggest uh, sign yet that youth football programs are now the next front of the legal battle over concussions. Uh, It was filed in federal court here in California by the mothers of two deceased former football players. Um, these parents, uh, they, they played, and after they died, they, they had autopsies, and they were found to have chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is referred to as CTE. Right. Uh, were these kids when they died? I mean, how old were they? Um, yeah, I believe they were, they were in their teens when they died. They were still kids. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And uh, unlike the other cases that have centered only on football leagues, the complaint also accuses the USA football, which is the youth football arm of the NFL, and the group that creates football helmet safety standards for failing to protect youth players from the dangers of brain trauma and the long-term consequences of repeated head hits. They claim that the defendants have ignored medical research that underscores the dangers of playing football. The statistics show that uh, the number of youth players playing football is on the downswing you know, as parents fear for the safety of their kids. And I think this downward trend will continue because the, not only are they fearful for the injuries, but the cost is increasing. The, the, these youth leagues have to pay higher insurance premiums, and they're having to defend these lawsuits, and these costs are getting passed on to the parents. So I think uh, we're going to see a decline. Robert, you, yeah. have, you have a couple. You have boys. Did your boys play football? You well, both of my boys played football, tackle football, and I also coached tackle football in youth leagues for many years. And it's a it's a it's a high priority from my own experience that they teach you and they train you as a coach and uh, everyone associated to keep an eye out to make sure that player safety is paramount however despite all of the focus on player safety there's no doubt that kids bang their heads together when they're playing tackle football and that's something that everybody's going to have to deal with that reality and what that means 
Yeah, I, I well, coached uh, I coached youth soccer for 14 years, and it wasn't until the last few years that AYSO, which is the largest youth soccer organization in the country, that they started implementing protocols where all the coaches had to be trained on uh, concussion symptoms and how what to do, and so their safety has become you know a big important part of that organization. All and right. It may, well, it, it may well be that you know that that football is football is a violent sport, and that no matter yeah. how safety conscious people are, that these types of things are going to happen, and people need to make a decision about whether that's acceptable or unacceptable. They need to be able to take to 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 make a decision whether they want to take that risk. But I think that you know, for a long time, people have known that football is dangerous. Although I don't know if parents have known about this uh, chronic encephalopathy and how how you can have really long-term effects. Well, if any, but, if any, uh, parents, any parents considering putting their kid in football, they should see that movie, uh, Concussion, with Will Smith. It's really right. eye-opening. <laughs> it was an excellent movie. All right. Uh, you're listening to Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice Radio, and we're going to move on to our Ask the Expert, which are with our featured guest, Vinny Parco. Hello. Hi, Vinny. This is uh, this is Reed Brightman, and we're very happy to have you on the show. Uh, Vincent Parco, private investigator, PI, has been using his intellect, intuition, and outside-the-box style of investigative tenacity for over 30 years, 35 years. Mr. Parco had his national TV show, Parco PI, on Court TV for two years, and we can learn more about Mr. Parco by visiting his website, which is www.ispyforyou.com. Mr. Parco, welcome to the program. My pleasure. What can I do for you? Well, um, tell us about how attorneys can benefit from using a private investigator such as you in, in their trials. Well, uh, actually, an investigator gathers evidence for the uh, attorney. And um, depending on the level of competency, you might be able to get some good um, uh, expo- uh, exculpatory information uh, for the defense on a criminal case, because that's what you're going to use a private investigator for, the defense. Now, for the, the plaintiff or the prosecutor has the police, and uh, uh, they have their own uh, methods of, uh, of uh, getting information. And we have our own methods of getting information to get to help the uh, the, the defendant uh, win the case. Possibly. Couldn't a plaintiff's lawyer uh, use you to find witnesses or interview witnesses or find out if the defendant uh, if the defendant is lying about something? Well, yes, we 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 get that, but the problem is um, uh, most of the plaintiff attorneys uh, they they base their cases on uh, what the the tort. Uh, occurred, and uh, I very rarely get hired by plaintiff attorneys. They they go by their own standards and what they what they they've gotten on their own. But I mean, you know, uh, they'll take a, a photograph of of, of, a, of a sidewalk or, or or get some information about a building that might have fell on somebody and show negligence on the part of the defendant. Uh, so yeah, they use investigators too. I I, I personally don't work too many uh, plaintiff attorneys because they they're cheap. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, we we usually work defense, and um, you know, and a good investigator could get a lot of information for an attorney and help help the, with the case. It's, it's very simple. 
Hey, Vinny, you know, this is Robert here. I know many of our listeners have probably grown up with Perry Mason, and he had that investigator, Paul Drake. Paul, Paul Drake, Drake loved him. Always Big, tall, blonde-headed guy, yeah. muscular. And he could little, always find something that managed to, like, get the guy off the hook. Have you ever had a situation where something that you developed actually ended up in uh, some maybe an innocent guy not being convicted? Yes. Uh, uh, in Staten Island, we had a case where the, the went on for five years where they tried to uh, get my uh, client a uh, auto mechanic on a RICO case, and uh, what I did was uh, I found out where the, the the car that was the linchpin of the whole case was located, and the um, the DA and they tried to hide the car. They literally hid the car uh, in a garage uh, on, a, on a bus company, and we were able to locate it and take pictures of the car being um, well. It was evidence in the case, and the, and the evidence was being. Um, how should I say it, manipulated. Uh, they were changing things in the car. They, 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 were, they were doing a whole bunch of bad things with this car. And we got it on tape. Eventually, we won the case. The case got the, 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 the we had an honest judge who dismissed most of the charges, almost every charge, uh, based on what we found and, and, and the whole investigation. I got the, about 10 witnesses that beca- uh, changed their testimony. Uh, they recanted. They uh, they said, "Well, I uh, I didn't. He didn't steal my car, but the DA charged my client with stealing the cars. A whole a list of things that I, I would take us three hours to talk about. And um, I felt really good about it. Then I just got a, a guy off for uh, armed robbery, where he wasn't even anywhere near the house that they they claim he robbed. And I had an eyewitness next door that saw him. Uh, that saw that no one entered the building as as uh, the so-called victim um, complained about, and he got he was off. He got to, he got off, and uh, he was innocent. He was he was never there. You saved that guy's life. Yeah, a nice guy came to my office crying. He said, "I'm innocent. I, I really believed him, and uh, I actually went an extra mile for him. I uh, I did a lot of work, but I didn't even get paid just to get this guy off because I didn't like what they did to him." You'll you'll get dividends on that for the rest of your life. Yeah, you could say that. I I would think about it. Once in a while, he calls me and I I bump into him. Poor guy, he's a he's a shoe salesman, and uh, he doesn't have a lot of money. And he had to. He's probably still paying off the people that he borrowed money from, uh, for, for the lawyer and for the case. You know, it's a shame. You know, it's it's a shame. Then you have. Did he give you Did he give you a free pair of shoes? Gumshoe, yeah, I as guess, matter of fact, right? I got, I got one pair. I got one pair of sneakers for free, and the other one I paid fifty uh, percent off. <laughs> okay. You know, I know how it really feels good to help somebody like that. We've had yeah. some cases here at Kuzik Law where we got multi-million-dollar settlements for our clients, and these folks, um, their lives were devastated, and the money really changed things and made it so they can get all the care and, and treatment that mm. they need. And it really feels good to to do that, you know, to yeah, be part of that. Definitely. Um, hey, Vinny, how how is it that um, you track people down if 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 you need to find a witness or you need to find somebody and they're not they're not on Facebook, they don't have a cell phone? What do you do? Well, we have we have a lot of methods. Some of our methods are a little uh, <laughs> um, a gray area, you know. Uh, <laughs> for example, let's say a person has. Uh, we know they have a credit card. We, we'll, we might go into the credit card company on some pretext and find out where the bills are being sent, and that's uh-huh. where they're, they're located. Or to use a uh, ruse. 
Well, we use a lot of ruses, yes, okay. a lot. That's interesting. Yeah. Tell me, what, what's one of the wildest stories that ever happened to you during an investigation? There's so many. I, 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 it, I, every time someone asks me this question, I, I freeze because there's so many. Um, the, 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 the one in Staten Island is, is 17 witnesses, 14 of them I interviewed. 14 of them changed their story. Um, they, they, they locked me up overnight on this case. Really? Uh, yeah, they dismissed the case. I mean, they just locked me up overnight uh, to get me off the case, which which worked, but we still won anyway because we still I was still consulting with them. Um, we had um, so many uh, cases. Uh, uh, the the be- one of the best ones, the high profile cases that I've had was the the two million dollar soccer mom that was uh, arrested for pro- one charge of prostitution, and um, which. They made such a show of this. It was so crazy. We were on TV. Uh, we had a press conference. It was just crazy. And and all they wanted from her was to give up five names of cust- of clients, very influential people who were Republicans, by the way. Uh, and the DA was a Democrat. And the election was coming around. This is a few years ago. And um, they were trying to get to find out who these people were and she wouldn't give it she wouldn't give it up and she we did a few things ourselves that uh, we uh, we actually investigated the one of the chief assistant district attorneys and he found out about it and all of a sudden he made a a very uh, substantial offer no jail time time served where she spent like two months in jail waiting for this this thing and um uh, probation, and that's that was the end of it. So I felt amazing. good about that one too. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, Vinny, Vinny Parco, private investigator. Thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. To learn more to learn more about Vinny Parco. Please visit his website at www.ispyforyou.com. That's the letter I S P Y. F-O-R-Y-O-U dot com. Thanks again, Vinny. Okay, you got it. Good having you on the show. Thank you. Okay, now we're going to move on to Reed's rant. And this week, my rant is about the government doing nothing despite repeated fatalities at the same intersection over and over again. We have some very dangerous intersections out here. And uh, just last week, a young family man, two kids, was Uh, tragically killed in an accident when uh, another car blew through the intersection uh, and the the guy that got killed he had stopped at his stop sign and then he went forward not knowing that the other people did not have a stop sign Um, and it was only a two-way intersection and I looked online and did some investigation and I found numerous fatal accidents at that same intersection since 2007 and there's a bunch of it. This is repeated over and over again. And yet the government, it's still just sitting there doing nothing. And that just that gets me so angry. You know, why can't they put a flashing red light? Uh, why can't they put a sign that says cross traffic does not have a stop sign? Why can't they make it a four-way stop sign? Why can't they put a speed bump there? Something to save lives, literally save lives, uh, you know, somebody's dying there several times a year. I can't believe that the government just sits around and does nothing. And 
what I want to say to our listeners is when you see an intersection or something unsafe like that, the best thing to do is write letters. Write letters to your to the mayor, to the governor, to your local government, to the Department of Transportation or Traffic Engineering. You call up your local government and find out who to write letters to. But letters can have a big impact. Uh, I have a cousin that was a state senator, and he said that if he got seven letters from, from the entire population of the state, if he got seven letters on the same subject, he knew it was a really big issue. So I encourage people to write letters about what they think and let our government know. That will do it for today, and we thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio with Robert, Mark, and Reed. Remember to check us out at KuzikLaw.com. That's KuzikLaw.com. Each week, we analyze civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and all legal current events. Thanks for listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio.